did you know that there are over 34,000 emotions? Yes, you heard me right, 34,000. That's why it is critical that we get to know our emotions. Emotional literacy, the ability to deal with one's emotions and recognize their causes, is central to living into our beautiful new story and central to becoming stronger every day. Each of us has absorbed the atmosphere of our family of origin and picked up ways of coping that developed into our go-to defense mechanisms. Having a strong, solid emotional vocabulary helps us understand how to recognize, label, and navigate the eight primary emotions, joy, sadness, acceptance, disgust, fear, anger, surprise, and anticipation, and have a slight grasp of the other 33,992. Author and international expert on leadership and human performance, Dr. Alan Watkins, writes, If we start to become much more precise in our emotional literacy, then we can come up with a more effective strategy for dealing with negative emotions and creating a positive emotional state. So, how do you feel good about yourself more often? It's perfectly possible, but it does require practice, and it's not just about positive affirmation. Telling yourself to feel happier or more confident doesn't work. Instead, you have to feel the emotion, feel the feeling, not just think the thought. For example, when you think about something positive in your life that gives you a positive feeling or emotion... Take time to consider exactly how you feel, where in your body you are feeling it, articulate the emotion. Is it happiness, contentment, glee, delight? I add here that this process is also called naming what you're feeling, that one word feeling. The more you practice feeling that feeling, the easier it will be to conjure up that emotion when you need it, even in the face of someone else trying to make you feel something more negative. Let me read this part again. The more you practice feeling that feeling, let's just say ease or calm, the more you practice peace of mind, the more you practice serenity. Then you will be more apt, more able to conjure up that emotion when you need it, even in the face of someone else trying to make you feel something more negative. You need to learn to control your response in whatever situation you find yourself to become response-able, response-able. That is, able to respond in the way you choose. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal Grab a cup of something delicious and start your heart-lifting journey 
towards living a meaningful life. Hello and welcome to today's Heartlift with Janelle. I'm Janelle. Hello, Heartlifter. I'm so happy to have you here with me today as I move us forward on our heartlifting journey. Today, we're in the third movement of my new book, Stronger Every Day, Nine Tools to Becoming an Emotionally Healthy You. If you do not have this book in your hand right now or on your Kindle or on your Audible, please go over to Amazon and order it in any of those various fashions so that you can journey through it with me and with the community Stronger Every Day. Also, be sure to subscribe at JanelleRairdon.com so that you can be the first to receive any and all updates and uh, all the new resources that I'm putting out all of the time. Real easy to do, JanelleRairdon.com. You'll see a little blue bar pop down. You just put your first name and your email, and I promise nothing, nothing but inspiration, motivation, spiritual growth, all the goods. So part three in my book is establish, and it includes the last three tools. Establish means to found, institute, build, or bring into being on a firm or stable basis. I chose our scriptural footing in Psalm 119, verse 73 in the Amplified Version. It reads, your hands have made me and established me. Give me understanding and a teachable heart that I may learn your commandments, God. Tool seven is about sending new, positive, healthy, sound and stable messages to your brain. We have a part in what we send to our brain, and that's what this tool is all about. And the tool that we're looking at here in the field of psychology, psychiatry, is called memory reconsolidation. I came upon this tool at a very critical time. I've spoken of it before in earlier podcast episodes, so I won't take the time here because I really want to dig into this chapter. It has lots of tools. It's really tool-rich. There's tools under tools under tools. And, um, but memory reconsolidation is all about rewiring our brains, being able to name emotion and feeling and the memories that they're connected to. And every memory has a negative or positive charge. So it's very important in our lives as we observe our lives, because that's what we're doing in this important heartlifting journey. The very first thing we're doing is awakening, we're awakening to our lives, right? We're living a wide awake life. We are becoming increasingly aware of how we move through life, how we walk over the threshold into our homes every day, how we move through the hallways of our homes. And we're noticing. We're noticing maybe some unhealthy behavior patterns or unhealthy ways that we think and talk to ourselves and to others. We're recognizing some very unhealthy communication skills. Maybe it's unbridled anger. Um, Maybe it is lying. Maybe it is, you fill in the blank here. What do you keep tripping over? (laughs) 
What is keeping you stuck? That's what we want to really hone in on in today's conversation. Maybe we have just been pushing so much under the carpet, right into our nervous system, right? Because when we sweep something under the carpet, we sweep it into our nervous system. So what have you been sweeping under the carpet in your life for so long but now you're tripping over it. Now you're, there's a mountain in your living room. Uh, yeah, we just want to pause. We want to take yet another look in the mirror so that we can be free, that we can flourish, that we can live a eudaimonious life filled with true meaning and value. Because that's what we do here in the Stronger Everyday community. I wanted to remind us as we begin going through this chapter, I'll call it, and understand tool seven, memory reconsolidation, what is defined as emotional health. This is uh, the source of this definition is the positive psychology program. And it reads, emotionally healthy people are those who can control their emotions and behavior, who show resilience in troubling situations And as a result, they can build strong, lasting relationships. Emotional health is not merely the dearth of mental health. Just as the absence of depression does not mean that someone is happy or emotionally healthy. Remember that being emotionally healthy does not imply the absence of all negative emotions. And faking positive emotions when they are not genuinely felt That's not a true representation of emotional health. But for many of us, (laughs) of course, that's what I write about and that's what I'm all about is helping us all become stronger every day. So on many occasions, we're talking about those of us who perhaps have grown up in a situation that wasn't uh, the most ideal. And in my life, I grew up in an alcoholic home And so in my book on page 179, I note the American Addiction Center writes, substance abuse affects a family on every level, emotional, psychological, financial, and social. Worst of all, addiction undermines the loving, trusting relationships that sustain a healthy family. Restoring those relationships, which were often damaged long before the substance abuse began, requires time, patience, and the support of knowledgeable addiction professionals. So maybe you were one of those children that weren't offered the support of knowledgeable addiction professionals. I know I was not. My mom did her best. I know she did her best because that's my mom, just to keep us fed and dressed and schooled and keep the family together. You know, counseling, talking about our problems, um, Alcoholics Anonymous, all of those things, they just weren't the accepted norm for us, nor was it easily accessible or affordable for my enlisted military family. And so in that case, I I brought into Tool 7 another dynamic tool called the Window of Tolerance. Because when I learned about this tool, once again, I was just like, oh my goodness, This would have been so helpful to know as I was growing up why I can't tolerate increasingly distressing events. So I I wanted to turn to one of my 
favorite LPCs, Andy Kolber, in her book, Try Softer. And on page 72 in her book, she talks about, and she says this, if we didn't have the experience of growing up and with secure attachment, as we say, in other words, caregivers who were safe and attentive, they nurtured us, we felt seen, heard, we knew we belonged. If we grew up without that, with insecure attachment, and especially if our stories include toxic stress or distressing events like trauma, little t, middle t, big t, anything that is overwhelming our nervous system and too big for our body, we are going to move out what is known as our window of tolerance, W-O-T. And Andy Kolber writes on page 72 in her book, Try Softer, We've talked about the impact of trauma and the importance of experiencing our caregivers as safe and attentive. If we didn't have that experience, and especially, as we have said, these experiences included toxic stress or distressing events, our ability to tolerate discomfort lessens, and we more easily go into hyperarousal, which is the fight, flight, fawn, or what happens in our amygdala, our survival system, or hypoarousal, which is freeze and dissociation, which also happens in our amygdala. Additionally, our window of tolerance may be affected by medical issues, physiology, or ongoing adverse conditions. These states of hyper and hypoarousal occur on a spectrum with their accompanying thoughts, emotions, and bodily sensations intensifying depending on how far outside of our comfort levels we get. So keep that in the forefront of your mind as we continue. The space between hyper and hypoarousal, what might be thought of as just the right amount of intensity, is the range in which we can experience emotions, sensations, and experiences without feeling physiologically overwhelmed. This was first named by Dr. Dan Siegel and then additionally strengthened through the work of Dr. Stephen Porges. And this range is what we call our window of tolerance. So we know that we know we don't want to live anything in hyper. I'm hyper flexible, which is great when you're a dancer or a gymnast, but really not healthy on your connective tissue. And we don't want to be hypo anything. You've suffered with any kind of thyroid issue. You know you don't want to be hyper or hypo. You want to be stable. You want to achieve in life what we can call homeostasis or what we can call equanimity. A very solid, secure, stable way of moving through life. So right now I'm sitting here, I'm looking at my beautiful windows in my office and I'm taping and I'm looking outside. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. And I'm seeing that, you know, the center of the window is where the lock is, right? And so anything above the lock is hyper arousal, fight, flight, fawn. And you might feel, see if any of these resonate with you. You might feel overwhelmed with adrenaline. Your heart is racing. Physical shaking or trembling. This is an overactive nervous system. The urge to move your body either away from or toward the stressful event. 
You might feel angry and out of control, scared, anxious. You may have the need to over-accommodate or to please people. This is hyper-arousal. I can check everyone in that box. (laughs) Absolutely everyone. Oh, let me reframe that. I could check back in the day. I am now far more in the center, far more stabilized and have equanimity, far more than not. So I'm grateful for my heart lifting journey. I tell you, I never ask anything of you. I have not lived through myself. Okay, so when you're in your window of tolerance, when you're in that mm, just the right spot, right? You're going to feel strong, competent, curious, relaxed, content, balanced, able to rationally make decisions, hopeful, or able to take risks without feeling that overwhelm. That's where we want to, that's where we're going here. (laughs) Heartlifters, we we are on the journey towards living in the center of our window of tolerance. Hey, we might have be out camping and get chased by a bear. Well, we'll go into some hyperarousal. That's necessary, right? We have a survival mechanism called the amygdala for those types of experiences. We just don't want to live everyday life from our amygdala. We do not want to live in a state of survival. And that's what we're talking about here today. And many of us, it's a subconscious Defense mechanism, a coping mechanism. You're not even aware until you are. And today I'm just hoping to open the windows of awareness so that you might recognize that you keep tripping, getting triggered, stumbling over something in your life that you can apply this tool of memory reconsolidation to and you can bring yourself to a state of equanimity. It is possible. I promise, I guarantee it, if you do the work and you open your arms to God, he will help you really bring that window of tolerance to a beautiful place. Okay, so when you're in hypo arousal, H-Y-P-O, you might feel sluggish, depressed, suddenly exhausted, foggy, or zoned out. I can't tell you the amount of years I spent in fog. They diagnosed me with fibromyalgia because of it. I want to say that was my late 20s, early 30s, maybe 40s. Numb, shut down, paralyzed, frozen to the spot. Disconnected from the world. Or sometimes it's as though you're watching yourself, like an out-of-body experience. I've been there as well, and it's not comfortable, and I don't really want to ever go there again. So as we're moving through tool seven, told you there's so many tools under the tools. That's the window of tolerance. I talk about on page 178, three uh, other unhealthy behavior patterns called triangulation. That's a situation in which two individuals each attempt to draw a third party to their side. It's often expressed in nonverbal cues. An eye roll when one speaks about the other. Hand signals cross the room or behind the back. Throats clear, mouth smirk, deep sighs are heard. 
favoritism. This is something as parents we have to be very cautious of. Sometimes it's really subconscious. We give unfair preferential treatment to one person or one group at the expense of another. Whispers pass between mother and favored child while the other is standing nearby. Ugh. And they're listening. Favored child feels awkward and so uncomfortable. Other child feels pain, anger, or even numbness. Comparison, right? Noting the similarity or dissimilarity between, why aren't you neat like your sister? She's the stronger daughter. You're just like your father. And that note (laughs) is typically when mom's not really fond of father. Wanted to bring those into play so that you can take some time as we're working through tool seven and some introspection, both personally in your own life and in, in your own self as a child, but also perhaps in your parenting. Are any of these in your parenting? If so, it's a good day to take a good long look. Oh, we talk about triggers a lot in Tool 7. And that's going to start on page 181 and go through, well, pretty much to the end of the chapter. And I just really wanted to talk about this little section, taking the tension out of triggers, because we were talking today, like, what triggers you? And in the work of memory reconsolidation, this is very, very important. So usually when clients come to me and they sit before me, maybe after the second, even sometimes in the first session, even in the intake, I notice triggers. They just start blaring like a red siren. And I just make note of it. I write, let's face it, conflict happens, especially in emotionally charged circumstances. In extreme times, triggers occur and defense mechanisms are activated usually wrapped in tension and armed for a fight, either verbally, hurtful, hateful, or non-verbally, which is silent and unsafe. A trigger is something that sets off a memory tape or flashback, transporting the person back to the event of his or her original trauma. They're typically unexpected, they're typically negative. There are positive triggers, as I, as we can mention, like a, a, the smell of a chocolate chip cookie baking in the home can bring you back to your grandmother's lovely home and how peaceful you felt in it. I have one client who is okay if I share it. She had a very turbulent childhood, but there, there was a beautiful positive trigger in what they called the meatballs and the sauce that was an Italian family. And they When she smells that smell of the sauce, the smell of the meatballs, it really evokes a very positive memory in her life. And boy, that's what we cling to when we're moving through the healing journey. We want to remember, we want to feel the positive and really take them in so that we can start feeling them more so that the negative can consolidate. You know, sometimes triggers take us totally off guard. That's the that's what I'm talking about here today. Those triggers that just take you off guard. They take your breath away. They knock you off your feet. And you go, what on earth just happened? A sudden jarring word is spoken. 
a nasty glare is given. Someone rubs us in the wrong way. A photo is posted on social media. Sometimes, as I said, they can be positive, but usually they're counterproductive and they're draining and they stir our competitive instinct or our survival instinct. As I said, we're going to think about what uh, is leads us to an intensified negative emotional reaction, the unhealthy ones that bind and breed even more unhealthy outcomes. And so that's what we want to talk about today. And we want to learn how we can use this tool of memory reconsolidation. So if you'd go to page 186 with me, I'm going to take a moment and read through just a few uh, defense mechanisms that I note here, because when we're triggered, we are going to default typically to one or two or three of these defense mechanisms, these ways that we've learned to cope. Now, one of the ways I learned to cope was people-pleasing, right? That's a hyper arousal in my window of tolerance. Oh my God, they don't like me. They don't like me. Everybody has to like me. If they don't like me, then I don't have any value, worth, or dignity. And if I don't have any value, worth, and dignity, I just want to die. All right? That's one feedback cycle or loop in my life. So defense mechanisms, they're often referred to as ego defenses. Let me clarify. I think this example will help. A while back, I was working at a a counseling practice as their certified life coach. I loved it. And I always said I was the like the person who put the running shoes uh, onto the counseling client and taught her how to apply him or her to apply all of these uh, things that the counselor is telling them about. I would explain them. I would help them understand. And that's that was really the genesis of this book, Stronger Every Day, because I thought, man, most of us leave a counseling office and go, I have no idea what those big words were that they were telling me. But as a life coach, as a certified life coach, with trauma information in my belt, I was able to really explain to them and give them an understanding of how to make them be practical in their life. And so it was a beautiful marriage. I think it's a beautiful marriage of therapy. And that's what I did when I developed the Heartlift Method. I thought, let me synergize counseling and therapy words and practices and Put, to, put them into life coaching skills and apply some spiritual formation and direction. And boy, we just got a winning combination here of healing mentally and emotionally. So one of my cohorts said, she, she told me, she said, you just give people ego strength. And I said, what? I just scratched my head at the time. I didn't really know what she meant because that sounded bad. But as I studied it and, and learned and talked to her about it, she was like, no, you're you know, we all need, we all have an ego and we want our egos to be healthy and strong. And we want them to be in a state, right, of that beautiful equanimity where we're secure and we're stable. It's when we have ego loss, right, that we have to try to prove ourselves. We have to make other people love us because we don't have ego strength in our own sense of identity. Hopefully that's clear as mud. I'll give you some more on the show notes. 
So on page 186, I give you this chart. I give you the ego defense, the defense mechanism, and how that plays out in our families and relationships. And then I give you one practice to make sure you're coping in a healthy, heart-lifting way. And this is very, very personal. I'm going to go and just list them. I give you repression, denial, projection, compartmentalization, intellectualization, regression, and sublimation. So let's just talk about repression because I'm a master <laughs> recoverer of the defense mechanism of repression. It is was the foremost defense coping mechanism in my life until the last uh, three or four years when I've just done a lot of my own personal work. I refer to it like an armadillo. You curl up in a ball and you hide. How does repression play out in our family and in our relationships? Instead of using words or using our voice to speak unacceptable thoughts, feelings, or impulses, you swallow them and hide your true feelings. That sounds a lot like moving through life from a staged performance self, doesn't it? It's how our, it's our personality. It's how we learn to show up for life. So I learned that I needed, I was not allowed to say what I truly felt, thought. I wasn't ushered into that world. I was just shut down. I was afraid. I was scared. There was no room inside the hallways of my home to say how I really felt because I really didn't understand how I felt. Didn't know what was going on inside of my head, which most of us don't. Thank goodness. I'm so happy and so proud of young mamas and daddies today and school systems that are now trying to increase emotional intelligence and emotional health. So proud. So much better. So one practice that we can put into practice to not repress is this. I will use my words so that I no longer swallow unhealthy emotions that eventually will cause dis ease in my physical body. There are physical consequences to storing repression inside my nervous system. I will always remember that God is the strength of my heart and that he will empower me to overcome. This just one defense, ego defense. I write and tell more about it in the anatomy of repression. So refer to that if this is striking a chord with you. All right, let's choose one more. How about projection? This one is a lot more complicated to detect. It it has really taken me a lot of mental energy and a lot of conversations to say, would you please dumb down what projection looks like for me? I liken it to a blue jay. You take out your negative feelings on others. Blue jays are really beautiful. They're perhaps one of the most beautiful birds, but they're really not nice. So when we project, you project or place your feelings on another person so that you don't have to feel or deal with them yourself. So what might that play out like? Let's say someone looks at you and says, you just make me completely miserable. You make me miserable. Well, first and foremost, we know if we're healthy and we have emotional health and emotional intelligence, we know 
we can't make anybody feel anything. That's their choice. It's their responsibility to process any and all feelings and emotions that are being given or shouted or whatever to them. But boy, oh boy, when you're a child, you don't have that mechanism. You don't know how to do that. And if you're not trained to do that, you got to make your way to it. So projection is when I or someone else would project onto you what they're really feeling themselves. So if someone's saying to you, you make me completely miserable, you're miserable to live with, if, you are, if you're in a healthy stance, you can hold that space and you can say, I don't make anyone miserable. I'm not miserable. I'm a, I'm a good person. I know who I am and whose I am. So I can detect immediately, oh no, this person's projecting that onto me because they're miserable. Oh, I really hope that's a helpful way of opening your eyes to projection because it it really is one of the most hurtful defense mechanisms that can be placed on you by someone else, by someone else's coping. So that's why it's really critical that we do the work here, heartlifters, that we become our healthiest selves so that we can detect when someone else is using a defense mechanism against us. So how might I practice to overcome that in my life if I am a projector? I will take complete ownership of my emotional reactions and do the hard work of processing and properly owning them. That's how we will overcome and understand oh my goodness, I am using the defense mechanism projection. And boy, that is really making someone else's life miserable. (laughs) So we want to be aware, am I a compartmentalizer? Am I an intellectualizer? Am I a regressor? Am I a sublimator? A lot of times I uh, laugh when I am really uncomfortable. And that would be a way of of a defense, I try to make something funny. I use humor as my defense mechanism when something makes me really uncomfortable. So now from this point on, whenever you see me or hear me laughing here, you're going to go, oh, she's getting uncomfortable. It's getting a little too close to home. Oh my goodness. So heartlifters, this is a very important chapter and tool And so let's close out understanding what memory reconsolidation is and how we can utilize it in our lives to help us clear neural pathways in our lives from unhealthy places and spaces to healthy. I'm not going to go too deep here because I am happy to announce that we are going to have with us Dr. Benjamin Perkis, who actually introduced me to the beautiful methodology of aroma freedom and trauma memory resolution and this tool of memory reconsolidation. Had I not met him, had I not gone through the beautiful certification process uh, in aroma freedom therapy, utilizing therapeutic grade essential oils to do this process of memory reconsolidation, it wouldn't even be in this book. So I'm so happy to announce because he just reconnected with me and said, okay, I've got some time now. And I'm like, drum roll, please. Dr. Perkis will be with us. So we'll go into it in detail. So take the time and prep for that deep dive. 
by reading through Establish a Time to Build on page 199 of Stronger Every Day, and it goes all the way to page 202. So please, if you don't have Stronger Every Day, order it, download it, get it on Audible so that you can begin to understand how to consolidate these charged, negatively charged memories in your life. I'll just read this part as we close. A friend invited me to attend an event that introduced me to a new and revolutionary emotional health modality, the Aroma Freedom Technique, developed, like I said, by clinical psychologist Benjamin Perkis, in alignment with the research and writings of Gary Young, the father of the modern essential oil movement. This simple, safe, and highly efficient healing modality incorporates several different psychological therapies, many actually, including EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, with the power of aromatherapy and the use of memory reconsolidation. So here's the very simple definition of memory reconsolidation, the brain's natural way of updating and learning. And Dr. Perkis discovered that holding the four primary aspects of consciousness together at the same time. That's that memory complex we have talked so much about. Feeling, thought, sensation, and imagination while smelling specific strategically formulated therapeutic grade essential oils had the effect of dissolving the memory and emotion complex and allowed the person to become free from the effects of negative experiences from the past. I have personally witnessed the incredible power of this process. Many, many, many clients who remained stuck in unhealthy behavior patterns were set free. Those who had kept tripping, like we've been saying, over the same route no matter how hard we had tried to dig it out with talk therapy or lots of other methodologies, we just couldn't resolve the mysterious it. So I committed to staying the course until we did. And on that January morning, the answer to me came. And in truth, it really didn't look like anything I had expected it to, but it was better than I could have ever imagined. Let's just close with this beautiful quote by authors and researchers Bailey and Balsam. Memory reconsolidation, time to change your mind. Ideally, we should benefit from our experiences, not remaining set or stuck in our ways, but rather being capable of flexibly adjusting our memories and representations as we encounter new information. It would be extremely inefficient to treat each experience as entirely unique and have to learn things de novo each time we encounter them. Being able to form memories is ultimately what allows us to learn from experience and carry information about how the world works forward in time. Being able to update our memories allows us to continuously adapt to changes in the world. I know that's a lot, but please read through pages 199 to 202 in Tool 7, Stronger Every Day. And as I said, we'll take a deeper dive in how to update 
and uh, give our brains and minds new ways of updating and relearning so that we can move forward in life with real, true victory. Heartlifter, remember, you are clothed with strength and dignity, with nothing to fear. You, my friend, can smile at your future. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Every Day online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.